Thanks, uh, Ethan, for leading us in song. Appreciate it every Sunday. And, uh, of course, Jeremy Beller always does such a good job in these communion talks. But then every now and then he just dials it up to 11, you know, and some Sundays I don't even want to get up here and follow him. That was so wonderful. Thank you so much for that, Jeremy. I really appreciated that. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Welcome. If you're visiting us, this is your first time, uh, please hang around after worship services. And uh, we do actually have some coffee back there. If you can get through the crowd, uh, throw a few elbows, whatever it takes, and, uh, and get yourself some coffee and, uh, and, and give us a chance to get to know you. You have come to a wonderful congregation. We're not all here. Some of us are online keeping ourselves safe, and that's a good thing. But uh, welcome. We are so happy that you've chosen to worship with us. Have you got any um, weird things in your family? You know, I mean, stuff that you understand, but that outsiders might look at and kind of cock their heads. We, I have a song that I, I don't know, I made it up when, the ki- when my kids were little. And, uh, you know, let's go to the car, oh baby. You know, it's not a great song, I'll admit that. But it caught on both of my uh, sons now sing it to their kids. And um, outsiders might look at that and think that's a little strange. I get that. And you may have some stuff like that in your family that everybody in the family understands. Outsiders might be a little puzzled by. That is natural. That is normal. The same thing happens with the church. If you've belonged to a church for a while, then there are characteristics of the church that you totally get. But when outsiders who have never been to church before or haven't ever been to this church before come, they're a little puzzled by. And, and when you start looking at the characteristics of the church from their perspective, you may suddenly realize, well, why do we do? Why is it like that? Where did that come from? Sometimes those are just funny. Sometimes they aren't. I had a, a person that I know pretty well, a student of mine back in the past, an alumnus uh, that kind of buttonholed me the other day. I shared this with one of our Wednesday night classes. And she said, you know, how do you reconcile yourself with, and she named a characteristic of Christianity in general, not just a specific congregation, but how do you reconcile yourself with this and the church? And the characteristic she named wasn't something that I did reconcile myself with. I don't think it's okay. But you know, I said to her, well, I don't, I don't appreciate that, and I don't like that, and I've got my own list. That's on it, and there's a bunch of other stuff that I have, I have trouble with the church over those issues, and my whole life there have been things about the actual church that I have not liked, that have hurt me. 
Nevertheless, and I went ahead and told her this, nevertheless, I feel like God has put me here and I can't go away. (laughs) And I love the church, even when I have a hard time loving the church. So we're wrapping up today our sermon series on hard to love by talking about the fact that sometimes the church itself is hard to love. Because it is, if we're honest. So the first passage I want us to look at is that passage that uh, Taylor read for us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is part of a long discussion, starts, if you know the book of 1 Corinthians, it actually starts back in chapter 1. Paul gets this report from some people he knows, Chloe's household, says the church is splitting. The church isn't speaking to each other. We're about to have a denominational split right here in Corinth. And it's all about preachers. Some people say, well, I'm a Paul Christian, I'm a Apollos Christian, I'm a Peter Christian. And Paul goes on and talks about that actually for the first four chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians. He talks about that. And here's one of the things he says is what we had read for us this morning. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere babies in Christ, or infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. That's not a compliment. You are still worldly, for since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere human beings? For when one says... I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? And the dynamic that Paul is setting up there is to say, you as Christians have been given this incredible privilege to have your spirit awakened by God's spirit. The gift of the spirit you received at baptism gives you the ability to respond to God's truth, and to live in response to God's holiness, God's Holy Spirit. But instead, what I'm hearing is, you are living absolutely not by the Spirit, but according to the way the world works, the way the flesh works, the way your ordinary human soul or mind works. When you divide up over preachers like you're doing, or any other kind of division for that matter. And so that's the first item I want to hit. One of the things that makes the church hard to love is when it fights and divides. Churches divide sometimes. Churches get tensions among themselves sometimes. We are made up of people that have been saved by Jesus Christ. But if we were perfect people, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to save us. 
And so we bring with us a lot of the messes that are in our lives, a lot of the resentments and a lot of the weaknesses and a lot of the character flaws. And the Holy Spirit is there. And every day it's asking us and motivating us and giving us power to to begin to rise above those things that the world has tried to build into us. But divisions arise. Here in Corinth, it took the form of fighting over preachers. Apollos, we think, you know, given where he was from, Alexandria, he probably had more Greek rhetoric. Jeremy in his Corinthians class has been enlightening us about that. So just hang around for the Sunday morning class after this, and you'll hear more about that. He had more of the Greek rhetoric, may have looked a lot better than Paul. Paul was trained in rabbinic thought, but that didn't play all that well in Corinth. That wasn't going to attract the middle class and the rich people very well. Apollos may have had more of that. And so there were people who said, if we really want our church to take off, we got to have a flashy-looking preacher like Apollos, a flashy-sounding preacher like Apollos. We can't really stick with this Paul guy. And the other people said, well, Paul's the one who first preached the gospel to us. He started our church off. we gotta, we got to do that. we got to stick with that. And so uh, they had divided up, and they were fighting with each other. Now, I'll tell you something, folks. There are some creepy and pathological things that happen once you get a division rolling. And I'm saying this not because that's particularly a huge problem at Wilshire. Wilshire has been blessed greatly by peace and good, good, solid, loving leadership. But one of the things that's happened in my life as a Bible teacher before I came to Wilshire is I went to several churches to kind of preach and minister where that was a big problem. Kind of filling in and picking up pieces at churches where there were difficulties. And one of the things that happens in a church where there are divisions, is that both sides, they're not just, it's not like this side is just loyal to Paul and talks about all the good things about Paul and following Paul. That's bad enough, Paul says, because Paul didn't die on the cross for you, he says. I didn't die on the cross for you, you're not baptized in my name. But the worst thing that starts happening is all the nasty things I start thinking and suspecting about the other side. People that Jesus died for over there that follow Apollos, I start attributing bad intent, and I start imagining that they are plotting. I bet that this is what they're up to. I bet that they are going to make a move. And everything that starts happening, I begin to suspect. The meanest things that churches ever do to their members, the meanest sermons that preachers ever preach, the meanest rulings that elders ever give, come from a division. I'm telling you something. 
Paul, Jeremy's been talking about this in our Sunday morning Bible class. Paul says the solution to division is to remember who saved you. You are saved by Jesus Christ. And those people that you're suspicious of, and you're worried they're going to bring in innovations and they're going to change things, and you don't like the changes that they're making, and, and you're worried that they're going to do this and they're going to do that and the other thing, they were saved the same way you were. And Jesus Christ shed his blood because he loves them the same way he loves you. And yeah, you've got differences but Jesus Christ insists in his name that you work on being unified. That you work on making the one body that is real in heaven real right here on earth as well. Churches are hard to love once they get a division going. And you and me, brothers and sisters, Jesus requires that we work to pull divisions back together and to nip them in the bud before they get rolling and to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The next thing, I'm going to stay in Corinthians for a while. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 17 and following. This is Paul talking about another problem that was going on at Corinth. Corinth had some privileged people, some rich people, or at least well-off people. And it had a lot of poor people too. Most churches that are growing have that. But that had shown up in an odd way in the Lord's Supper observance. If you've got a congregation that has laboring people in it and slaves in it, and you've got people who are middle class or rich, even the way that they worship together can be affected by that. And it had shown up in the Lord's Supper. At this time, the Lord's Supper was a true table where there was actual, you know, a full meal, not just a little tiny bite, as we have been accustomed to do since the Middle Ages. And a weird thing had happened. Those who had more decided, we're not going to wait around until the slaves get off work. The poor people, till the sun goes down and they can join us. We're here, we've got our food, let's go ahead with our supper of the Lord. And Paul actually, when he hears about this, he's enraged. And he says, it's not even the Lord's Supper when you do that. You don't even understand the body of Christ when you do that. The body of Christ is not imagining the crucifixion of Jesus. If you don't understand that the body of Christ is the body of Christ as well. The union of all these people that are saved by Christ. 
Here's what he says. In this following directive, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there will be divisions among you to show which of you has God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead on your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? Certainly not in this matter. Paul says that I can't understand the body of Christ that sacrificed for me if I don't understand the body of Christ that is built by that sacrifice. The church is hard to love when those who have the most stop caring about those who have the least. And that does happen sometimes. In the history of Christianity, churches sometimes have gotten the whole concept of, of what this means backwards. That church becomes another way for me to gain and project wealth and power and status. I can't go to that church. That's where poor people go. I've got to go to this church. This projects success, this projects status, this projects power. And in this church, I can't, I can't have this role. I must have this role that tells people that I am a success, that I have position, that I have power. Do you understand? That is the way we usually treat things in the flesh. If I belong to a club, I want a club that will promote my professional chances or my status in society, perhaps. But if I start treating the church like that, you realize how backwards that is. Because this is the church of Jesus Christ, is it not? Who is Jesus Christ? Philippians says Jesus Christ is the one who has equality with God, and rather than seizing it, grasping it, exploiting it, releases it and descends, emptying himself of that God power, God status to take on the form of a human being and not just any human being, the form of a slave or servant and live not just any life but a life that ends in early death. Death on the cross. You think that you can seriously worship that Jesus Christ at the same time that you are pursuing your status and your power and your glory. That just can't work. Now Jesus is happy that you have good things. Jesus made all the good things you have. And he's happy you have them. 
He's happy you have enough to eat. He's happy that you have a place to live. He's happy that you have a nice car. Those are good. Jesus doesn't, is not mad at you because you have stuff. What Jesus does say is this, I'm coming back. I'm going to judge the world. And to the extent that you took care of those who don't have as much as you have, the least of these, those who are hungry, those who are naked, those who are in prison, those who are sick, that was when you came and did that to me. That's what Jesus says. He's happy for you to have things. He made those things for you. When you smile, he smiles when you enjoy that. But he says, you want to be with me. Take some of what I've given you and become a little bit like me by giving to others. The church is hard to love when it gets all status obsessed. It looks like the world when that happens. We need to turn the church into what Jesus requires it to be. Last passage I want you to look at. There were others that we could, but just three. Revelations 3, 14 through 22. Jesus dictates a letter to John. He wants it delivered to the church at Laodicea, one of the seven churches of Asia. The church that's established, Paul wrote Laodicea a letter. We don't have it, unfortunately. This is the only letter that actually remains to this church at Laodicea. It's not a very nice letter. The church wasn't doing very well. Here's what Jesus writes to the church at Laodicea. To the angel of the church at Laodicea write this. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Just so you know what Jesus said, your lack of passion makes me want to vomit. Jesus is not pulling any punches with this church. You say, I'm rich. This is the problem we were just talking about. I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind, and naked. I counsel you. I advise you. Here's what I think you should do. To buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can actually see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and change your ways. Repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit 
says to the churches. Jesus says that the Laodicean church is hard to love. And what happened to the Laodicean church sometimes happens to other churches. And churches are hard to love when it's lost its passion for the work of Jesus Christ. Just cooled off, you know, just kicking back. Asleep in Jesus, you know. Just on cruise control. Jesus died to save the world. And one of our songs asks the question, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? The answer is no. Jesus paid the ultimate price to try and change the world to bring about his Father's will. What are we going to do? This is a serious thing that you and I have been called to. God has paid the price of his son's blood to put his spirit in us so that we can find what it is that God asks of us and begin to bring souls to him. There he is at the door knocking. Knocking on your door, knocking on my door. Let me come in. Let me come in. Imagine this. Church can be hard to love sometimes. And imagine this. You're at a basketball game. You know how basketball games are. Super loud, super noisy. And you are bending over and saying something you shouldn't say. You're actually bending over and saying something kind of nasty about a woman you know, somebody's wife. You shouldn't say it. You know it. It's gossip. And you know how crowds will just kind of spontaneously get quiet occasionally? So right when you're in the middle of saying this not nice thing, the crowd just kind of falls silent and your voice is the only thing that's heard in the whole place. And you say this pretty nasty thing. And then to your horror, you look down two rows and slowly turning, is the head of the husband of the woman that you just insulted. To make it even worse, imagine that he stands up and keeps standing up for quite some time. Looks about eight foot tall to you. Now, you can imagine how the rest of the story goes. None of the endings are very good. The reason I wanted you to imagine that is because Sometimes, when people want to run away from Jesus, they find it hard to actually criticize Jesus. Jesus is just pretty good. It's really hard. The people who wanted to kill Jesus and put him on the cross had a really hard time finding anything bad to say about him. They had to end up lying. People who want to run away from Jesus have a hard time saying anything bad about Jesus. So often people who want to run away from Jesus start by slamming the church. Start by criticizing the church. And I'm going to tell you something. 
It's actually pretty easy to do that. There's a lot wrong with the church if you start looking. There really is. But there's a fact that you and I need to keep in our minds. With all of the flaws that the church has, the church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. Revelations 21, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to the mountain great and high and showed me that holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. That chapter begins with the announcement, now is the wedding of the lamb. Brothers and sisters, the church can be hard to love sometimes. It can. There's always stuff wrong with a group that's made up of human beings. God's working on us. The Holy Spirit is working on us. But we're still messed up. And if you're looking for stuff to criticize, it's there. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ loves his church. And if you start hating his church, you're going to have to answer to the church's fiancé, Jesus Christ. That's the truth. This church, as messed up as it is, has a destiny this church that stretches back 2,000 years and stretches forward until Jesus comes back is that holy city, Jerusalem. This will be the reality of what the kingdom of heaven is all about. God has plans for this church. And you and I have been put here whether we like it, and we don't always like it, whether we like it or not, in order to be part of that plan of God. Let's pray. Dear God, at our best moments, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we recognize just what a blessing it is to have the church. At our worst moments, we have problems with the church and we may be critical, but God help us to live in our best moment. Help us to be open-eyed and try to fix what's wrong. And God help us to love what the church is and what the church is going to be. God help us to serve those around us, especially those who have less than we do. God help us to work for the unity that you desire, to hold your church together and make it what it should be. God, help us to ignite and keep burning bright the passion to make the church your instrument, your body here in this world to do your work and to spread your kingdom. 
God, these things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ, if you need help or prayers that need to be done publicly, then come forward and we'll do it publicly. If, if, if it's something you need to do sitting where you are, don't, don't wait. Don't put it off. Make the change that needs to be made. And if to, today is the day that you want to put on Jesus Christ in baptism, be buried, have your sins washed away, be raised up to a new life. We invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.